Hey, and welcome to another episode of the Who Dat Jedi podcast. This is episode 134. Did you miss us? We kind of took a week off um, because Dave went to the motherland of the Midwest. Um, Dave, how was your trip? It was fine. There was a lot of driving. That, that's that's the and, takeaway. And Kansas in the fall is nothing but brown, brown, <laughs> brown. And it's like Nebraska in the like... fall, unless you're lucky to see some trees, then you might well, get some pretty trees. And yeah, around Manhattan, I'll give you, I'll give you that. Manhattan is a very pretty area of Kansas, but then it's brown, brown. <laughs> I went to Manhattan. We took a little day trip to see where my grandparents um, are buried and like show the kids kind of like their heritage and all that. But we also stopped by Manhattan. Um, and that was that was the highlight of the trip for me because uh, I got some ice cream there on campus and um, and the kids got to sort of see where I went to school and all that. And then uh, uh, there was a really, really good Indian restaurant of all things in the in the middle of the in the middle of Manhattan, Kansas. You know, so I, actually, there have been people who have said that um, like the best Indian restaurant they've ever been to is in Omaha, Nebraska. It's like you know, there's um, I, I yeah I, I don't know if it's I mean there's a large Indian population. I mean, a lot of them came to University of Nebraska. I don't know, maybe. Maybe same thing with Kansas State, things like that. Um, but uh, they say, yeah, some of the best Indian food is in in the Midwest. So, well, I want I want to shout out Globe. That's the name of the restaurant in Aggieville. If anybody's listening and and they have occasion to stop in Manhattan, Kansas, uh, it's quite excellent. Right on, right on, right on. So, what's your what's your favorite uh, Midwest beer? That you can't get down here. I know my. I've said before, mine's Boulevard. Um, but... You know, oh gosh, this it's it's kind of unfortunate for me because I was a huge fan of Tallgrass, uh, and then they overextended. Um, there are a lot of breweries that over the last decade overextended because they things got competitive, and they're like, we got to distribute further and further and further, and then quality control couldn't do it yeah couldn't yeah. do it anymore couldn't fulfill orders and uh and the whole thing just falls apart and so i really liked them a lot but they're they're barely around anymore they're kind of a they're now they're a local brew pub kind of a place um but um boulevard's great you know if if you fancy a boulevard or a wheat beer that's that's always a good choice i want to fig- i got to figure out how and that sorry you didn't come to the who Dat jedi podcast to mm-hmm. listen to us talk about beer but i want to find out how far north i have to go to find boulevard beer um i wonder how i got to figure out how far they distribute um because uh, i mean you need to find the border you need to find like the border and just yeah boulevard and- and then, uh, then sing, you know, eastbound and down, and you know, do a, you know, beer run. So, <laughs> you know, how I found out recently distributes down here is the uh, Kentucky Bourbon Barrel. I don't know if you've ever tried their stuff. Huh. Um, track them down if you can. I'm not sure who carries it here locally, but I've seen it locally, and whenever I see it, I grab a bottle because it's it tr- there's truth in advertising it it tastes like a beer that's been stored in a bourbon barrel oh right on and it's just 
delicious. So it's probably a one and done is what you're saying. <laughs> All right. Well, um, let's just not talk about Saints football. Um, talk no. about Tulane football being ranked 25th. So, there you go. Good on Bull you. Eligible. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> there was a kerfluffle about that. Did you see with Ed Daniels? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like He's like, Tulane fans need to stop complaining. It's like, nope, nope. It's like you never cover – you have not covered them for decades. They're not going to stop complaining. Like they're going to demand more coverage. And it, it's fine, you know. As they get better, they'll they'll deserve more coverage and they'll yeah. get more coverage. They'll have be more interest and and it'll it'll work itself out. But I just thought that was so funny. So tonight we are going to be talking about episode six of Andor, which um, is titled "The Eye." Um, and uh, we got a little bit of news uh, to start off with, but now we got to do trivia as always. But uh, yeah, so uh, let's uh, get out some questions to get our brains wrapped around Star Wars. All right, so to Fredo. What pilot okay. destroys the second Death Star's power regulator? Say that again. What pilot destroys the second Death Star's power regulator? Okay. At first, I thought you said what pirate, and I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> uh, it's pilot. That would be Wedge Antilles. All right. So now for a bonus, what direction was that power regulator? Right. No, I mean Lando gives a cardinal direction. I think I believe he says oh. north, right? Yeah, the north power regulator. Yeah. So anyway, that was uh, yeah. you get the credit for wedge Antilles. So, um, all right, all right, Dave. Who warns Chewbacca of an approaching stormtrooper squad in Cloud City? Who warns Chewbacca of an approaching stormtrooper squad in mm. Cloud City? That's probably C-3PO. It is probably C-3PO. It is mm-hmm. him. Yes, yes, yes. All right. And to me, who does Darth Sidious intentionally mislead in saying, when my new apprentice Darth Vader arrives, he will take care of you? Which, by the way, I really liked that line. I, I just thought that was, I mean, they had to giggle when they wrote that line. Um, he will take care of you. Um, but that was uh, Newt Gunray. Yes, it was Newt Gunray. Today, today, today. All right. Um, Obviously, the galaxy far, far away has yet to uh, invent the gangster movie. <laughs> in, I, Take care of them, see. You know, I. Okay, so I want to. I want to. I want to. I want to take issue with something here. It was, and it's been a funny meme that's been going around. We've shared it amongst ourselves, and you know, amongst our group with uh, you know Britt and Kate and, and everything, and. Um, it's the one where it's like they're talking about the cantina the most it's the roughest bar in the galaxy Mm -hmm. and what music are they playing smooth jazz and i was like (laughs) well of course that's what they're going to be playing i mean because i mean if you talk about 20s 30s gangsters i mean jazz musicians were playing in those i mean for crying out loud the city that we live in i mean they were listening to jazz you know as they're you know, doing their, their mob business. So, 
eh, you know, it's I don't know what they expect. Look, look, you go, you watch any uh, of those John Wick movies, wherever all the gangsters are gathering together to talk business, it's jazz that's playing in the background. They're all trying to be cool. They're not trying to be hard and tough. And uh, later. I also have to say, I've got some things to say about Andor because I watched a good chunk of Rogue One the other day. And if you are watching Andor, I would encourage you to not wait until Andor is over to watch Rogue One again. Ro- watch Rogue One because it really, it, it, I mean, it, it, it's like I said, I've got some things to say about this episode that really, um, it, it, they just got brought up to the front because I watched Rogue One. Um, so otherwise I probably would have left these, uh, wouldn't have had these comments or observations but we have some news um so fredo over to you okay let's start with kind of the uh, big big news of the last few days which is that it was officially announced that harrison ford is going to be joining the marvel cinematic universe by taking on the role of general thaddeus thunderbolt ross uh, which was had been portrayed in the MCU since 2008 by William Hurt, who had passed away earlier this year. And so he's going to take over for that character in the new Captain America movie, which is scheduled to come out sometime in 2023, 24. And then he's supposed to be following that up with an appearance in, oddly enough, the Thunderbolts, which is coming out in 2024. So... My one question is, obviously, look, Harrison Ford, this, this is a secondary role, you know, a supporting role. He's not expected to be the guy carrying the movie, but kind of following the footsteps of actors like William Hurt and Robert Redford and Annette Bening, you know, like thespian level character actors who, and movie stars who coming in into the MCU. Uh, I guess my one question is, and I don't know if you know about this, Aaron, but maybe Dave does. There's a character, Thunder, Thunderbolt Ross, uh, that general, the, the general who is always chasing the Hulk. There's a point in the comics where he takes the same serum that Bruce Banner got, and he becomes the quote-unquote Red Hulk. What are the odds that Harrison Ford will turn into the Red Hulk? I'd I'd be entertained, I'll say that. Uh, are, are we all caught up on She-Hulk here? Yes, yeah. Uh, I still got to see the finale, which I've heard is epic. So, uh, but yes, okay. go ahead. Uh, uh, right, okay, I'll, well, I'll, I'll I, I, well, I want to say one thing about that real quick, Fredo, is temper go, your go, expectations. Go, go, go. Temper your expectations. Anyway, go ahead, Dave. <laughs> I liked it. Um, I wouldn't go far as saying epic, but anyway, go ahead, Dave. It was interesting. Uh, they, made, they made some creative choices. Um, but uh, I, uh, there's a lot in that finale that would point to there might be a Hulk movie at some point. Yeah. Um, and I'll, I'll just leave it at that. Um, and so, like, it really makes a lot of sense to recast the character because um, uh, I think there's a pretty good chance he's going to be really important over the next several TV series and films. The funny thing about this, I told you guys at, uh, when we were at Oktoberfest at Urban South, is that um, Kathy Kennedy lost her mind um, when they wanted to actually announce this at D23. 
you know, when Harrison Ford comes right. out to do his uh, thing with Indiana Jones, they wanted to Marvel wanted to make an announcement that he was doing, you know, joining the MCU. And Kathy Kennedy was like, "No, you're not stealing the Indiana Jones thunder at all." Um, and uh, I just find that interesting that you would. I mean, you would think that those. The, those uh, you think that they would work a little bit better together it's not like we're dealing with warner brothers and um you know 21st century mm-hmm. fox it's like you got it's it's the same company you know but then of course i don't know i i worked for google and the amount of things that you know you would think that google slides and the, the google slides team and the google docs team would talk to each other or they didn't all that much but anyway <laughs> um i guess I'm- I'm kind of surprised that they didn't make that announcement at Comic-Con just because that's when they made the big reveal that Thunderbolts was going to be the big phase four finale, the big, the big team up movie instead of an Avengers movie and Thunderbolts. I'm surprised that that wasn't the moment when they didn't bring out Harrison Ford as the new Thunderbolt Ross, just because you have to know that that, that, you know, kind of rubbing of shoulders between, Marvel and Indiana Jones that might cause some friction. I don't know. I'm yeah, surprised they didn't a, take their maybe big the, moment. It would have been a big moment. Maybe the contract wasn't signed, sealed, and delivered. So, um, true. Anyway, no, that's 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 interesting. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, one good thing about uh, Harrison Ford, you know, he's not going to leak anything from any script. He's not going to be like Mark Ruffalo and uh, Tom Holland revealing everything in movie in, in uh, media interviews. Uh, right quick, next big, nah, not big story, but just kind of reminder, uh, as we're, we're working about Endor, that uh, next week we get our next animated show, Star Wars animated show, uh, Tales of the Jedi, drops next Wednesday, August, I mean, I'm sorry, October 26th, and uh, Dave Filoni is writing all but one of the episodes, uh, obviously you got uh, Ashley Eckstein returning back, what's interesting is you're also going to get Ian McDermott as Darth Sidious and Liam Neeson back. So, you know, Ian's done this both. Apparently, he's also done The Emperor for Bad Batch Season 2. He had the little cameo at the end of Obi-Wan. And then uh, Liam Neeson has already done, you know, the voice for Qui-Gon for Clone Wars. They got Ian McDermott to do uh, uh, The End of Rebels. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, they've done it before. Uh, Basically, it's the core of the uh, Clone Wars cast coming back and yeah, but you're going to get six episodes all on the same day, three focusing on a young Count Dooku, three focusing on a young Ahsoka Tano. And the, so it's just six in this? Yep. Not six and so then far. six more to come? or No, just six. Uh, if you want to, I can give you the titles. Nah, so we'll, we'll, we'll jump into them when, uh, when we, when when we watch drop. them. But right. uh, yeah, interesting. Yeah. All right. I wonder if the I wonder if the idea is going to be similar to Visions, where they're see what the temperature is, and then they may, maybe we might get more down the line. You know, different characters, different stories. I'm sure Dave Filoni has a lot of Clone Wars things in his back pocket somewhere. So I don't know why I just kept thinking Bad Batch was like right around the corner, but it's not until January. Um, oh wow! Yeah, I was just—I was going to ask about that. <laughs> yeah, I was just like, 
I guess I was having an old man moment where I thought maybe I was conflating the two series or something, but um, I thought that was coming soon. I checked. I was like, oh, January. Well, this is like a really good bridge to get us to that point, right? So, right. Yeah. And I think, and I think because they're not, I mean, it's going to be stuff for fans of the Clone Wars and Rebels, but it's also going to give us a tiny bit more new stuff on these characters. There's a there's not as much pressure, but it's gonna be interesting. And you know, anytime you hear uh, Ashley Exton doing Ahsoka, everybody's gonna be happy. So, and for the record, I do believe that the the two stories are going to sort of cross link in some way. That's my theory. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how if it's about a young Count Dooku and a young Ahsoka Tano. How they mesh. How they would mesh. But we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Um, yeah, Last we got... bit of news. Yep, go ahead. I was just going to say, uh, kind of guiding us towards uh, our main topic today, there's an interesting uh, analysis of Andor's uh, kind of audience engagement on Twitter. There's a bit of data analysis from Paradigmatics, this guy by the name of Brandon Katz, who kind of showed how the various Disney Plus Star Wars shows have kind of engaged with the audience. And uh, basically says the most disappointing trend I've come across is that audience demand for Andor is overwhelmingly lower than either Mandalorian Season 1 or 2, Book of Boba Fett, or Obi-Wan, despite the fact that it's easily the best Star Wars series by far. Now, that's his opinion, the <laughs> Andor's quality, you know. But uh, he does show that in terms of engagement, yeah, it's, the other shows are, had much initial higher engagement with their audience. So, uh, and we're still waiting to hear about Nielsen ratings from Disney Plus in a, pretty soon. But it's interesting. Yeah, I've, I mean, I've, like I said, I've got, we were talking about this before we started recording, and I, I think part of it, is um like we've talked about you know dave's had you know two of his kids jump ship you know because they're it's just they're it's not their thing and so you know you lose in you could potentially lose half a household you know it might be like the parents are really digging and or but the kids aren't so much whereas with the mandalorian and boba fett you had baby yoda still you had you know a lot of um it, it it was the more like we said ya you know star wars um so yeah it's but what and that data showed yeah it's like not as much demand but people are loving it um mm -hmm. that the the people who are watching it are like over the moon about it um so yeah and i i mean it's uh it, dare i say it's almost kind of like solo you know, it's like that the people were at that didn't have much demand, but the people who went and saw it loved it, you know? So it's like, um, I don't know at what point do you, I guess it depends on how much money they make as to whether or not they consider it a win or not. But, um, I don't think they should be surprised by these numbers. Uh, the other point I was going to make before Dave jumps in is that, uh, we also got to consider that the difference between obviously movies and streaming shows, it's, there's a lot of stiff competition for attention right now. I mean, you have HBO's giving you House of the Dragon, 
Amazon just finished season one of the Lord of the Rings adaptation, yep. the Rings of Power. She-Hulk just finished last week. So there is a lot of stuff out there for you to catch. And Andor doesn't necessarily have the hook of something like Obi-Wan Kenobi where it's a beloved character, Book of Boba Fett, which had a and you're, beloved character. You're right. When so, the Mandalorian started, that, that they cornered the market on nerddom at that point there wasn't anything to go up against so mm-hmm. network tv just kicked off too so like there's more competition there as well um for anybody that watches network shows um, i still watch a couple monday night football uh, thursday night football sunday yeah, night football yeah, i mean that's there's a lot there's... there is a lot uh but i think what's interesting about this is that i agree with the author and that I think this is some of the best Star Wars, perhaps, that we've ever seen. And it has the potential to chart a new path in a lot of ways um, and, and, and provide a template for something different and, and, and potentially a brighter future for Star Wars that's not beholden to a particular formula. And, and so it is a little disheartening to read those numbers and and view them in that in that prism because you, you want people to like something um that is produced at a very high level and i think we're going to evaluate this newest episode here in a couple of minutes and we're going to speak to some of the things that we like about it and, and i'll tell you um i like almost everything um there's not a lot for me to like pick apart here. I, and, I was with, so, Oh, go ahead. Finish your thought. No, no, no. You, you go ahead. No, I, might, I was just going to make a ridiculous comment that I was the only con- the only complaint I have. I was with some friends at uh, this weekend. We were talking about it, and I said, you know, my one complaint is that the blaster sounds don't sound like 1970s Star Wars blasters. They sound more like sequel trilogy blasters. I'm like, you have the audio file. Why not? use that i mean they're <laughs> so anyway that i mean but that's the, that's the only really complaint i have but you know why because those are not stormtroopers yeah well, mm-hmm. but but han solo's blast i mean don't try to explain it away fredo <laughs> um there's a lot not... there man but um okay so i, I got the hand-me-downs i so... do want to say too um this is not i'm again the that one guy said that he liked it. This one guy sitting in this chair said he liked it. But I'm looking at Rotten Tomatoes. 91% of critics liked it. So, like, your solo comparison is, is, isn't even... It's, it's, it's more well-regarded by audiences and by critics than Solo was. And, um, and so it's even more disappointing in a way that people haven't really just embraced it with both arms yet. Be interesting, like I said, it'd be interesting for them to do a deeper dive as to why. Um, right now, it's just they just see the numbers, and it's kind of a guess. Um, so let's let's talk. What, about, oh, well, I'll say one thing that I noticed. I mean, you talked about the adultness of it, right? And so you're segmenting your audience. There's certain people that aren't going to are just not going to be into it kids you know for example uh fredo off air mentioned that 
the casuals may not be. Yeah, it's not a. Yeah, this might be a show that is getting like the audience may be the diehard Star Wars fans who've been clamoring for this different thing. Like I, this I, might be the kind of show where it's just slightly different enough that it's not where somebody expecting another Mandalorian or another Obi Wan like. Where's the cute alien? Now, I, I, anecdotally, I can just tell you, you know, my in-laws who were just here, they're really digging Andor. Mm-hmm. And my mother-in-law bailed on Book of Boba Fett because there was no Baby Yoda. You know, she she really liked Baby Yoda part of Mandalorian and just was not, was had a hard time with Book of Boba Fett. And they just, I think they just kind of, meh. Um, but Andor, they're digging. So, I don't know. I, I, I. I, I guess that again, I can only speak from that that aspect of it. There's one other thing that you notice when you look at the chart. This guy put together a chart where it showed like the popularity of each season of the live action Star Wars shows so far, and um, Mandalorian obviously is up there at the top. The two seasons of Mandalorian, but if you notice, each subsequent series is less popular than the previous one. Um, and there might be something to that too. There might be a fatigue factor. There might be a, it's not hot or new anymore kind of factor for people. We talk about rise of the resistance at Disney world. When the next new hot ride comes along, rise, rise of the resistance is not going to be the most popular ride anymore. Um, so there's probably some of that at play too. Mm-hmm. Well, let's uh, let's jump into episode six here, um, and again, we, we don't have to go minute by minute, um, frame by frame through this. So just kind of talk about thoughts. Um, so the basic, uh, the, the what the gist of it is, is that you know the the event called the Eye, which is this celestial event, um, happens, mm-hmm. and so the the Empire generously lets the um the citizens of alani you know come and observe from where you know from where they're supposed to watch it um and it's so so you have that going on but this is when cassian and his small group of rebels that's when the heist is going to happen they're going to go steal all the money and get out of town while the the eye the celestial event is at its peak so that they can um, uh, get away, and so I mean, that, that that's basically that's basically what's going down here. Um, I and so I want to I want to talk about a few a few things about like I said I watched Rogue One, and just a couple days ago, and thinking about this episode, these rebels, first of all, they are all scared to death. They're all scared to death. Actually, almost about ready to bail on the whole thing. Um, and so you you fast forward to Rogue One, and even even Cassian is not, you know. I mean, he's a little bit. He's got he's a little bit more solid. But anyway, you, you fast forward to Rogue One, and um, so in five years, we're going to go from a group of seven people, about seven people scared to death and hopefully going to steal money to launching their first major attack on 
the empire in five years. And it's like what and, and, and it, what's interesting, the common thread here that stuck with me is like, it seems like Cassian is the backbone of the rebellion because in Rogue One, nobody wants to launch this attack. Jin, actually Jin's probably the, the backbone, but Cassian then, it's like that's when he finally gets his full backbone and says, yep, we're doing this. So I, that, I mean, that, I just want to throw that out real quick. It's just, it, it seems, I, like I said, I was struck with, at, my first thought was, like I said, Cassian was the backbone. But I'm like, well, wait a minute. No, it's, it took Jin to push him over the edge. So, I don't know, did that anything like that strike you in watching this? Just their, like I said, just their whole, and I don't know why my dogs are going nuts at this point, um, but just their whole timid nature to this heist? Yeah, I think real, you know, what's interesting is there's almost a sense of, okay, once we say the word go, there's no pulling it back. There's no... Uh, putting that toothpaste back in the tube. We're committed all the way through. And there's very much a fear on the part of Val, who's the lead, supposed to be the team leader, as to how to make, you know, whether or not to give that order, even though, you know, we've seen Cassian and Tamarin and Tamarin, I'm sorry, and the rest of the team already in position, like they're inside. And, uh, but she's still struggling. It takes her, uh, girlfriend sent that a go. Uh, yeah, you gotta get, you gotta say the go, otherwise it's not happening. So I think it's kind of showing us the humanity in a way that this is, there is no safety net for these people. This is not, oh, we're committed to the cause a hundred percent. Well, it's just something that kind of gets we grew up. We grew up with the rebellion, you know, with all right, guys, we're gonna go blow up the Death Star. They looked organized in A New Hope when I was four years old. You know, it, it didn't didn't look like a ragtag anything. And so, yeah, I, it's so this is this is really neat to see the oh crud. Should we do this? I, I keep putting myself in the shoes of the rebels here. It's really easy for for us to do that as audience members, especially if you if you personally have never served in the military um, and and. You think about like, well, what would my approach be in this scenario? So you haven't, I have not part of an elite military force that trains me a certain way to make me into, you know, for lack of a better term, a killing machine. You know, somebody that can follow orders, do it without thinking, and and get the job done. They're not. They are not that. <laughs> there are people who believe in a cause. You think they have a good idea, maybe a good plan here. They think they can get it done, but and, and they're doing as much training as they can do to prepare themselves. But when the moment comes, are they going to be able to do it? And so, like, that's that just rings so true to me. Um, yeah. And I think, and I think, in a way, they're not even because this is happening at about the same time that Rebels is happening, and they're nowhere near as gelled as a unit as the crew of the ghost when we saw them doing their heist and their adventures yeah you know they're disparate characters but they were functioning as a team the group put together in aldani to do this heist they've been spending months uh, together 
And even at the, the, the moment of action, they're still not quite in sync. And so it's interesting because it kind of shows you that, yeah, this is not organized. There's no, you know, history books in the, you know, in the future will may write, oh, and they did this and this happened and this happened. But when you start looking at it on the, you know, lift the hood and start looking at what really happens, it's far less uh, certain, far more chaotic. And and again, that's it's it's very similar to I I also keep thinking Dave kind of along the lines of what you were I keep thinking back to like um, everything post uh, well I mean everything post nine eleven where it's mm. like okay so the United States military arguably the you know greatest military power in the world goes to a place and they're getting beat by people riding around the back of pickup trucks who who aren't you know there but it's because of that you know so that's and of course that's a running theme in star wars as well i mean the empire is beaten by ewoks in the return of the jedi you know it's it's always been about that um that like i said that that theme's always been going on i'll give you a modern example russia currently in right ukraine but, you know, but to Fredo's point, though, what's really neat about Andor is that we are seeing the doubt in the face. We're seeing the hesitation. We're seeing the the grief and loss. You know, um, like I said, in the original trilogy, it was like, yeah, we're the rebels going against the Empire. But, you know, they kind of puffed up their chests and, you know, that you never saw them go the most you ever saw was Luke say, I shouldn't have come. I'm jeopardizing the mission, you know, but they never thought, mm, should we do this? Mm. So, um, there, it, it, this is, a, <laughs> this is very much a human, um, show. And this might be jumping ahead a little bit, but you, you understand later in the episode, why they might've had a little bit of trepidation in terms, morally speaking. Um, because part of their plan involves kidnapping this man's family. I again, I said, I said to Brittany as we we're watching, I said it is a fine line. I've said it before, maybe on this show, it's a fine line between you know terrorists and um, noble warrior. You know, yeah, it, and, yeah freedom fight. It's like one it's i mean gosh you keep coming from that certain point of view type of thing it's like you know if you were to if those weren't the heroes of the show we would have thought that is awful what they're doing yeah but but we trusted them that they weren't going to kill the kid because we know they're good rebels you know type of thing but Nobody else knows. Not all, not all of them are. No. So, but you know <laughs> what I mean. It's, uh, yeah. But yeah. I mean, they've really taken. They're they're turning that that rebellion again that we grew up with in 1977. That was that seemed like all, you know, hands washed and crystal clean and like you know the moral high ground, and they they're playing dirty pool. You know, and it, it's very much, I also was thinking about, I, there's some um, links to the American Revolution in in this as well. Again, you know, I mean, the original Continental Army, they were playing dirty pool. They were changing the, you know, um, 
they weren't playing by the rules of warfare. They were, um, and then there's, I, this might not have been intentional, but I also found it interesting that the first rebel to die for the cause was a black man. Yeah, v- very much, trooper. very much similar to um, Crispus Attucks, I think is what it was. The, the uh, African-American who died at the Boston massacre, you know, so it's, you know, like I said, it's, there's some also ties to, to that. It's very interesting. This sort of like leads me into uh, the discussion of sort of the ramp up of the tension in this episode too. Uh, We're talking Mm -hmm. about things that we like about this series and and the the slow burn, uh, the Hitchcockian approach to building the tension and building it and building it and building it i think i remarked to my wife uh part way through the episode a lot of innocent people are going to die in this episode I, like like i thought for sure the people doing the viewing who had nothing to do with any of this were they were going to end up in the firing line in some way um but like more to the point you know, the people that may have been the most morally correct, they didn't make it out of this. <laughs> they didn't make it out of this thing at the all. Believer. Yeah. Uh, the believer, uh, again, the defectors um, who were like, we were affiliated with the Empire, but not anymore. It's no good. We're trying to do the right thing. We think both of them died. Um, and then, um, yeah, like you said, the true believer and, uh, you know, it, okay. So talking about the true believer, he was, he was, yeah. there was an interesting interaction with he and Cassian at the beginning where he was struggling with the very thing that we were talking about. He's like, you know, he was basically saying, you know, at the beginning mercenaries bad, but now he's like, well, maybe mercenaries are necessary, you know? So it's his idea of, it, it seemed like he had a very more noble goal we don't know what's in his manifesto we know it's been handed off to cassian and that's That's now the interesting thing here is like okay where does what's this going to where's this going to come into play because but you know like i said he was struggling with you know do we use mercenaries do we play dirty pool okay maybe we have to you know um I think a lot of people go into wars with very, you know, clear heads and, you know, noble thoughts. And then it's like, all of a sudden you start seeing what's actually going on. And it's like, yeah, okay. It's, it's not a noble thing. Um, the, the best stories about war tend to do this, right? Um, I, I think back, I don't know why, but I thought back to uh, Saving Private Ryan. Have you guys seen that one? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, well, there's a there's a there's a moment. If I'm remembering, it's been a while since I've seen it, right? Um, but if I remember correctly, there's a, there's a moment where they encounter a German soldier, and he begs for his life. F Hitler, F Hitler, uh, don't kill me. I'm on your side. Please don't kill me. They let him go because. They think that's the right thing to do in that moment. And he comes back and he kills one of their party later on. 
yep. in a very gruesome manner. And um, it just sort of like shocks you to your senses in a way because you think, I'm doing the right thing. I'm, I'm, I'm making a moral choice here. And, and yet, ultimately, it's not the correct choice. Um, because war just has a way of sort of blurring those lines. Well, and, and these are things we struggle with. I mean, let's not even let's not talk about war. Let's talk about within politics. You know, it's like Brittany and I often have the conversation is like, why don't why doesn't our side do what that side's doing? You know, we, we tend to, um, you know, we, we tend not to play by the same rules. Like, well, why shouldn't we? You know, why don't we, you know, get down in the gutter as well? And it would probably be far more effective. But then would you want to be a part of that party? You know, it's those are the things we all struggle with. It's like, you know, it's a very again, that's why this this show is it's not just about Star Wars. It's about the the human, the human being stuff we're talking about right now ties directly into what Cassian does at the end of the episode. I mean, directly in with that. If we want to talk about that, we can. Yeah, let's jump or right to it because that was right. Because, okay, spoiler alert. If, if you're listening to this, you've already probably been spoiled a little bit. But yeah, um, so Cassian shoots Skeen and kills him because mm-hmm. Skeen says, hey, there's the ship. There's 90 million credits in there and you get 45, I get 45 and off we go and i'm actually thinking i'd think about that deal in that instance i would think about that deal and cassian guns him down so fredo i think you wrote in this or one of you two wrote this in said why 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 did he shoot him i i think it's about I i think it's a visual representation of you know killing temptation you know getting it's like i think cassian is starting to it's like i'm i was i was really starting to consider that so it's kind of the gross equivalent of you know flushing the cigarettes down the toilet you know so you're not tempted by it i don't know why why do you think why do you think he gunned him down yeah part of me thinks that there is something about that because he is considering you see it in his face that he this isn't something where he's just going like, eh, no, he truly is. And we, by his action at the end, he kind of almost has to, uh, you know, give, he gives the Sky Kyber to Val, says, give it back to Luthen. I'm taking my cut. I'm taking what I am owed for this job, taking 30,000 credits out of that, giving it to that guy for his ship. And off I go, and I don't, I'm not beholden to anybody. I think it's because he's come, you know, it's, if anything, the experience has left Cassian changed. And all Cassian, Cassian who was uh, plotting and trying to make moves in on Ferex and, you know, the Cassian that we meet in episodes one, two, and three probably would have taken Skeen up on that offer. It would have been like, look, I'm out for myself. I don't care for nobody else. And, um, let me do this and let me get out of here with this money. Whereas now the Cassian, after having gone through that experience, seeing what these people suffered, seeing what it means 
to do all this. It's almost like he wants to reject that side of himself that's agreeing with Skeen. And that's why he shoots him, because he knows if I walk away, if I tell him no and I walk away, he will shoot me. Because he's told me up front, he's a survivor. He's already got the drop on me once. I cannot turn my back on this man. I'm either agreeing with him and we're doing this, or I'm not agreeing with him and I'm shooting him. Well, this was a Han shot first type of a you know deal. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. There was only going to be one answer going to come out of that that didn't involve somebody getting shot. But I also think that that's an element of Cassian's development uh, towards the character we're going to he's going to become. It's it's somehow recognized know that there is a value to what the rebels just did and before, that he doesn't want to steal from them. And before Dave jumps in, here's another little connection to Rogue One that I thought about. Cassian. You know, he I, I think you might he might say that he killed his first person in the first episode of um uh andor mm-hmm. when he gunned down the the uh killed the uh the kmart security guys um and then he sh- shoots and kills skeen and we know that he's between now and rogue one he's killing a lot of people he had no problem shooting his friend in the back at the beginning of rogue one and his turning point is in rogue one when he's got galen urso in his sights and he takes his finger off the trigger that's because of andor because of these we've only been six episodes in because of that that has made that scene much more powerful in rogue one where you can see that's him making a decision and turning a corner in his journey and how he deals with things. Man's a killer at this point. I mean, not to mince words. This is, um, and it's a dirty business. You know, you're getting paid to steal and um, you've already killed people. And there's certain things that have to be done in the line of duty. Um, and, he he accepts all of that, and he 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 doesn't have any hesitation. We talked about the hesitation early in that early in the episode, where everybody's like, eh, "I'm nervous. Is it, we're gonna do this thing. I don't know." He didn't hesitate, but he didn't want to kill any of the Imperials in, like, of the family. He said, "Remember, he's the one that says no one has to die here." Right. That's but that's again, interesting. I mean, same. Yeah, but he comes to this point in the in the timeline where he is presented with this choice, and he knows that this man cannot be trusted. <laughs> he can't be trusted. You, let's say you take the deal. He's going to kill you at some point, or you're yeah. going to kill him. That's or, how it ends. And if you turn him down and start walking back towards the medical place, he's going to shoot him in the back. And it's going right. to be Skeen walking in saying, Andor is dead. You know, I think he read the situation perfectly. Like it's him or me at this point, and he's probably not expecting me to pull my gun and, and blow him away. So I've got the advantage. Boom. Um, and again, that's a very <laughs> that's a very cold way to approach things. Um, Might have been justified. I mean, like again, at the end of the day, I. I 
I, I really can't fault have find any fault in his his logic here. And, and again, that's that's in keeping with the whole series. Like so far, I most everybody whenever they do something, I'm like, yep, yep, that makes sense. That tracks. But I think, like I said, what we've seen though is that, and I think what we're going to see is that the killing becomes probably going to see more of it because it becomes easier and it becomes more desensitized to it. And it's the kind of, it's the kind of thing where you could see that he turns to as a mechanism to survive. And that's the justification. It's the, well, they were in my way or, Oh, they were trying to get what I have or, Oh, you know, there's ways to justify it that he's going to find a way, you know, in some ways, and I'm wondering whether or not we'll see that, whether he turns towards the rebellion more towards, okay, if I'm going to be doing this, I'd rather be doing it for a cause, kind of like what Luther inferred to him all the way back in episode three. It's if you're going to do this, you know, because there's other ways of dying. And, you know, if he's out there killing people just for no reason, you know, just to survive, well, might as well kill people for the sake of actually a cause. So that's why I think it's interesting that he's the one with that manifesto because I wonder if that's what he's going to turn to in times of doubt. So, um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I, this is, I, I just keep coming back to it's, it's really funny. It's, it's, <laughs> it's making you look at the rebellion so much more differently than we did growing up because I mean, and it's really thanks to rogue one, and now this it's like you know from people who are loyal to the empire well i mean look again look at the american revolution the british people were like what the heck are why are why are these colonists you know being a pain in our butts what do we do to them except for you know i don't know you know help help them help them not become what, french what 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 what, we we do, gotta, yeah, it, what what do we do to them you know and from the colonist point of view, it's like, well, you're, you got your boot on our throats. So it's, it's all about point of view. And I, I, I don't want to just be, you know, throw that out, you know, like tongue in cheek, you know, from a certain point of view or from my point of view, the Jedi are evil, but there, that's true. There's truth there. That's, you know, perspective is huge. Um, so what do we think of uh, what about the Imperials that they portrayed here? We got uh, some the family, for example, the um, the guy. I thought it was very interesting that his belt didn't fit anymore because I mean that was they're getting the Empire starting to get fat and lazy. Mm-hmm. That's what that's the, the what it didn't you don't have to go to you know English class to get that symbolism. That was pretty easy. They're getting fat and lazy. And that's why seven people can steal 90 million credits or whatever it was. Um, but, uh, but what'd you, what'd you think of the, like I said, all the Imperials the family, the, the visiting uh, engineer. I thought they served their purpose. I mean, like, again, this is all very well constructed. That's one of the biggest thing that um, I, I'll circle back to is just um, the ramping up of the tension. Um, the way things are shot, um, the the acting, the uh, characterization, the um, just the plot, and too like I mean we we sort of glossed over like this whole idea of what they're 
what they're trying to do here but it's like we have our plan and we're gonna do it yeah um and then they're nervous about executing their plan uh, okay we're gonna go and then in typical fashion and again like this is this is what makes stories compelling it all goes to crap yeah <laughs> it doesn't go the way that you plan it to go um you know, the, the communications jam works for a while, but then those guys are like, something weird's going on. Let's go check it out, right? They didn't plan for that. They didn't, you know, they didn't plan for um, there to be quite so much resistance um, from from the guys that are trying to help them load the money in. And, um, you know, a lot of those little things just start adding up, and then eventually you're in a firefight. Yeah. Um, and TIE fighters are chasing you. And it, oh, it's just. That was the coolest. <laughs> this is the first time we ever saw somebody actually get into a TIE fighter in live action. And that, I, I mean, it's such a small little thing, but made me go, oh, that's so cool to see, you know, them actually get into the cockpit of a TIE fighter. Um, yeah, I, it's, uh, like I said, I, I think the, the, what we're getting we're seeing a lot of i mean it's, it really is building up towards episode four where like i said like I said, the empire is getting fat and lazy we're also seeing the senate being absolutely pointless it's like watching c-span on a wednesday you know when <laughs> there's one person in the house chamber making a speech and nobody else is in there now you know like i said the whole remember what the senate looked like in episode three and filled to the brim and now there was like just a handful of people you know while mon mothma was giving her speech um no so Please don't keep, your, keep your head down and your mouth shut and you'll make lots of money yeah well and also and also the power is no longer in the senate mm -hmm. the power has been shifted by the empire's actions towards the imperial machine and I think that that's kind of what was interesting to me in, watch, in watching the commandant, his family, the guy, the engineer who's there to pass, do whatever inspection he needs to do, all the other stuff. It's the banality of evil. It's the, these are the guys who are punching in the clock, going to work, oppressing people. We got up this morning, we had breakfast, we oppressed some people, had a light lunch, did a bit more oppressing, had a nice dinner, you know. That's very much, the, you know, in the years since the fall of the republic and the rise of the empire we've seen the way in which many people and to be honest this is the way it happens in the in real life they just they switch the uniforms and just keep on trundling doing their job because it's their job and they mm. don't consider what they're doing i mean the only discussion we get about the impact that the empire is having on aldani is how uh, the commandant telling the engineer oh we've started building uh, we said we'd escort the the 5,000 or so people who make this religious pilgrimage. And then when they, when obviously we knew they were going to turn us down. So we started putting in little refreshment centers or watering holes, you know, taverns and, and, uh, uh, you know, uh, brothels to cause riots and fights and peel people off so that by the time the group gets to the top of their, holy place where they're going to watch the eye it's less than 120 and they're like you know by next year we're not even going to let them get up here we're going to have to have flooded this valley we're going to have them move up to another area and they're talking about it as casually as they're talking about 
plans to install a new air compressor right. or whatever. Because that's the penalty of evil. It's that we don't look at these people as people. We don't see them, ourselves as stewards of them. They're, they're just in the way of what we need to do. I also like the way that they're shooting um, this because the Senate, again, just comparing the way the Senate looked in episode one, two, and three to what it looked like in this episode, it's dark. Dingy. Dingy. It's, you know, it's just, yeah, it's, it, it, I think that that is a cool choice that they make because it's, you know, it's also symbolic of the empire as a whole you know it makes me wonder if you if you had a shot of the hallways in that in the center at that point if the carpet would have been frayed and taped over with like duct tape or something right. no what are the empire's version of duct tape you know in other words there's not much morning money coming in to keep this illustrious building and august body running smoothly you know I wonder if they have enough, you know, if every now and again one of the senatorial pods just kind of malfunctions and, eh, you know, just leave it dark and who cares. One of the other neat uh, Rogue One connections was when um, the Believer, I can't remember what his name is. Uh, I believe it. Um, anyway, it, when, Nemec, Nemec. When, when he's telling Cassian to climb, you know, and it's actually in the same. Callback. Yeah. It's it's in the and it's in the same kind of timbre and tonality of when, you know, K two S O was telling him to climb, and uh, I like I said I think th- this is going to this the show is going to make Rogue One even better. That's that's what I I mean. I've already just six episodes in. That's the way I feel. Um, so. And not to like add too much symbolism to that statement, but climb, you know, what does that mean for him spiritually and morally, you know, climb the sewers, climb out of the muck. Yeah. You're better than this. Do better. Um, here's my manifesto. Read it, learn from it. Um, there's more than just, you know, killing people for money. You can, you can do better than that. Um, and, it's lovely well and and it gets back to what i was saying earlier about you know he makes the decision to take the finger off the trigger when he sees galen or at the end of rogue one Jin wants to kill krennic and mm-hmm. he holds her back says no it's it's not worth it and do anything for you that that moment means more now knowing where he has started um so, yeah, I, I, but I wonder, do you think, do you think these connections would be as powerful or even be there if Tony Gilroy did not have any involvement in Andor? Probably not because he, he's the guy who's, who, you know, co-wrote Rogue One. So he, it's in his mind. And when they started thinking of this as a TV project or a series, they had to have been thinking, okay, who's this character? Where has been coming from? You know, just start getting into the background and go deeper and deeper. And so there has to have been that idea of we want to flesh out these connections. These, oh, that's uh, why you have, you know, this, uh, yeah. that's why you have, um, oh, Dave Filoni oh. do the, uh, you know, the episodes of uh, with Ahsoka in The Mandalorian. I mean, that's his baby. I, 
I think there's a more natural flow that occurs within that, right? Right. It's like this is this. I'm just going to write dialogue, and it's going to naturally sound like him because I wrote the other dialogue, and so there's just there's a real more there's more of a connection to the character, and there's more of a connection to the voice and these sorts of things. And like, if somebody else is trying, you know. Let's hand this series to somebody else well, and they come in. That's what I was it's, going to say. You know, let's talk. Go ahead. Go ahead. It'll sorry. feel it'll feel more it'll feel more forced. I mean, it, it just will. You talk about those some of those bad jokes and bad gags and bad callbacks that you're, we all groan at. You know, they're 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 there. They're everywhere in Star Wars. Um, you'd be seeing more of that. You know, we, we wouldn't be talking. We wouldn't be talking about climb, right? We'd be talking about well, rebellions are built on hope, or some other thing that just doesn't feel quite so natural. Well, it, it's like the the sequel trilogy. I mean, the the tonality of of that was very disjointed and off and all over the place because you had different writers, different directors, different. You know, it was just like I said, all over the place. So I think this matters. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it matters a whole lot. Um, uh, but just and just to con- you know, kind of go back to something you were saying earlier and, uh, regarding, <clears throat> you know, why Cassian needs to be there. In, in an interesting way, it's you look at Cassian and he's he's the only one who's got the mind for what the heck are we going to do next? Like in the moment where they're all trying to flee, you know, through the eye, they're chased by the TIE fighters. Val and Skeen are too worried about Nemec and its injuries. And who's the one who still got his eye on the ball? Who's the only one who's still thinking, okay, what's the next step? We need to get out of here. It's Cassian. And it's something that I think we're going to come to find out that that's what the rebellion means. And I think that's why having Tony Gilroy here helps because he's he's got a very... Uh, Cassian has a very matter-of-fact, okay, we have a mission, we need to accomplish it. We do this step, and then we do this step, and then we do this step. You know, whereas we're, you know, Val and Skeen at that moment, they're thinking about their friend who just had a spine broken, and rightfully so. I mean, it's a horrible moment. Cassian's all thinking about, we have a mission we need to finish. We are not done. And that's part of the character that we see later on in Rogue One, where he's thinking, okay, you know, He's getting orders he doesn't necessarily like. He's being told to go places he doesn't necessarily want to go to. But he's like, okay, how do we accomplish this? How do we get to the next step? How do we do? How do we get this done? Because that's his mindset, and I think that's something that we're going to find out that the rebellion really needs at this point in its infancy. I I agree completely with you. I I think like those are the sorts of things that. Um, we talked about earlier, which is that these are these are not military people, right? There, there might be other factions throughout the galaxy that are more organized, more on the ball, better able to handle things. Um, but this little faction that we're seeing right here, right now, loosely affiliated with Mon Mothma, of all people, you'd think would be like all in and all organized. They got no clue. They don't know what they're doing. Um, and this is a guy that has a very military precise viewpoint on 
getting the job done and doing things the right way and under and understanding that you know you got to keep your eye on the ball as you said um and and so that is kind of interesting to see again we're we're going to see so much more development for him because we we know that he has to get to that point in rogue one that aaron's talking about where it's not just about doing the job you lose your soul eventually and um but for right now he's precisely what they need um and so it's going to be kind of really interesting to see what happens next within that because i think they need him desperately and he at the end of this episode like wanders off well that's so, that's what i was just gonna so i actually just opened up disney plus because i couldn't remember how exactly how this ended and he just he just walks out the door so i guess we can kind of i wonder where we're gonna pick up how i, I mean he walks out the door that doesn't necessarily mean that he got on a ship and and took off you know are, are we going to pick up right where we left off and he's just all right I got to see this through or whatever. I don't know. Um, but what's also kind of cool is that this is the first time the empire is in Holy crap mode. That was a wonderful moment at the end, yeah. you know, and that's tying to Mon Mothma's moment when she's like, what's going on? And she looks at the tablet and gets the headline news of what happened. And then you see all the Imperial security uh, bureau agents coming in and their boss is like, okay, Cancel whatever plans you had. Call in whoever you got to call in. We need to respond to this in kind. And it's like, you know, that's the first time that they got actually scared, which is interesting because you don't see, you know, you've not seen them kind of reacting this way, even to the stuff that happened on Ferrix. They didn't respond to it. They were like, yeah, there was some minor, some, you know, local yokels would fought it out with the mall cops. Somebody go deal with that. This was more of a, Okay, they actually came at us. What the heck? So, do so you think... it's going to be the other respond to it. So let, let me uh, the, the, to, let's conclude with this question because it's, it's actually one. If, if there is a complaint, um, it's that you get invested in characters, and then they leave them. It's like the first three episodes, the the people you know that he was you know interacting with. You got you got invested in those people. And then we left him. You know, we actually we had a foil who was, you know, the the head mall cop, you know, and we've left him. Now we're we've had a, the next arc where we've gotten with these rebels. Now, granted, a handful of them are dead. Um, one uh, was Cinta. Did she stay on planet? I think she did. Um, uh, yeah, she she wandered off, uh, but they didn't. <laughs> she didn't make it onto the ship no. and i'm more, yeah like i'm feeling like she's gonna get captured or something but. Um, or she might have her own ship kind of hit like that was yeah. part of the plan but then we're you know, so we'll see so are we do we just have to are we ever going to come get these characters back is there going to be a culmination where they're all in the same room again or is the are the main characters in this show Cassian, Luthen, Mon Mothma, and the the Imperials? You know the the mm-hmm. ISB people. 
are those is, is that basically the core and just don't get emotionally attached to anybody else or do you think we're going to get some of them back i think it'll be interesting to see a few of them back particularly whenever we get <clears throat> excuse me whenever we get a leap forward in time because we know we're going to get them um this uh, this next episode coming up uh Tony Gilroy actually kind of intimated in interviews, which is going to be kind of self-contained. It's not going to be a three-story or, or a three-episode arc. It's going to be just its own little thing. So I wonder whether it's going to be Cassian heavy or Mon Mothma heavy, or if it's going to be Imperial heavy. You know. But I think at some point it'll be interesting to see Cassian, the new Cassian, you know, the more grown-up Cassian, maybe go back to Ferex, go back to see Marva, go back to see uh, Bix, uh, go back to see some of these old characters that he grew up with, um, just because he'll be it'll create a nice juxtaposition. I, I imagine we'll see at some point Val, just because she's connected to Luthen. So, you know, there's not gonna be you know they're gonna be like, see, okay, you know her, you know him. I don't think he's thing. I don't think he's gonna go back to where he was in the first three episodes because he's now he's now big wanted man. You know, I mean, he's already wanted there, and now you got the you got the Empire, probably got him on tape somewhere. Um, anyway, Dave, what what do you think? Are we gonna are we going to get uh, an end game moment with every <laughs> where everybody shows up, or are we do we just are we just done with them after after an episode? I, I suspect part of what they're doing here is showing that a person's actions have consequences um and so the people that he does leave in his wake are affected by interactions with him and sometimes in profound ways um and i don't think you can just walk away from that those things have a have a tendency of coming back to you and you having to reckon with them in some way and i'm thinking specifically of cyril mm -hmm. um but you know there's probably some other characters here too that like i got beef with you boy you know yeah, like he, you, you may is cyril gonna be the you know javert to cassian's jean valjean you know um sorry i had to throw in a little bit of uh les miserables in there there you go so there you go well, yeah, but I think he'll I think he'll turn back up. I think some of these other characters may turn back up too. But again, I think it, it'll serve the purpose of telling his story, which is that you can't just willy nilly roll through life indiscriminately killing people without it eventually affecting others and them coming back and you having to deal with that well anything any last thoughts on uh episode six of andor before we sign off the alarm went off a little bit ago but uh just just right quick beautifully shot episode we really need to kind of understress that enough and by the way for uh major networks uh streaming services looking to film at night this is how you film at night not however, however some other shows have been doing it you know just really well really well shot really beautifully shot the tension kind of like you were talking about how they managed to build up and build up and you just know stuff's gonna go wrong and that's the best part about heist uh movies and heist plots is the moment stuff goes wrong because you know at some point it's gonna 
So uh, I hope they have great. a I hope they have a really good um, behind the scenes type thing after the series is done. Yeah, because I would like to to see what they the, did. The eye. We didn't even really talk about the 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 celestial phenomenon that we saw here, and it was incredible. It really lived up to the hype. I was like, "Whoa, that's really cool looking." No wonder everybody's staring up at the sky and wants to stare up at the sky because yeah. it's just really, really cool. It's really cool and really dangerous for Tie Fighters to fly into. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. Well, cool. Well, we will uh, leave it at that then um as always you can hit us up on twitter let us know what you're thinking about and or or uh, anything else star wars related um but until next week we will say who dat who dat who dat and uh everybody have a great week please win on thursday my clunky